Hey guys, my name is Daniel Pewter, and you're watching the WZWA Network. The following announcement has been paid for by the WZWA Network. Hi everybody, this is former WWE superstar Al Snow. Great announcement. CWN is Sean Oliver. My name is Eugene. And you are watching the Insider's Edge Podcast. Now get on the train. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the show here on the WCWA Network. I am your host with the most on the West Coast, California in Fury. It is great to be with you here tonight and today. I'm very excited. I've been just obsessively been doing research the last few days and there's just so much I want to talk about. I'm so passionate about some of the things that I found out as well and I hope that some of my insight, I hope that our guest here today really appreciates it. Anyway, without any further ado, our guest here today, he is the Million Dollar Tough Enough winner from 2003, I believe. He is the one and only Daniel Pewter. Daniel, how are you, my friend? Guys, thanks for having me on. I am amazing. That's awesome, man. I can literally feel the positivity just screaming at me after that uh, <laughs> that response there, man. It's just great. Um, <laughs> My, yeah, this thing, you might as well. Like, 2020 was a crazy year. And at the end of the day, um, you know, so much going on. And why not be blessed for life and family and the people we have around us? So it's, uh, it's awesome. That's great, man. Great, bro. A lot of people do uh, sort of look on this year being as a uh, sort of a downer year, but I think a lot of us have accomplished a lot of things in this year as well. I mean, we started this podcast and in my eyes, just starting the podcast is an accomplishment. And without yeah. the shit show that 2020 has been, I don't think we would have ended up doing so. So, I mean, for everyone, yeah. we've all sort of uh, hit our goals and it's been, yeah, great year, depending on the way you look at it, man. I love you guys. Thanks for having me on. Appreciate you guys. Awesome, man. No, this is going to be great. Um, so the first round of questions, um, Daniel, I wanted to ask, uh, were you a wrestling fan growing up? So I watched wrestling. I wasn't a huge fan. I didn't go to events. But I watched one of my buddies, Kyle Kingsbury. He fought for the UFC. Uh, one of my best friends in, in, in elementary or middle school and high school. And he, uh, he had it on all the time. So I was watching it, um, but I wasn't the biggest fan. Uh, I mean, he, 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 he was watching it every week uh you know on every show so um i definitely loved um you know the athleticism i, I was a wrestler was starting in sixth grade so i love the amateur side of it um with the personality side uh, i mean if you guys watch my tough enough you you see my personality come out and and just rock and roll um so it, it was great and and i watched a little bit of uh mma uh, when I started getting into my teens too. So it was, it was kind of a little bit back and forth. And were you a UFC fan uh, when they had their first show in 93? So 93 would have made me, I'm just thinking about this. No, I, I was not a fan at that point. So I grew up in a, in a, in a more conservative home that yeah. where we didn't have TV when I was younger. Uh, we might've had it. I take that back. It wasn't that we didn't have TV. There was times we didn't like literally my parents were like, Nope, we're getting rid of the TV. And they moved the TV out of the house. <laughs> so we didn't have access to TV like that. So we'd go over to friends' houses and watch it. But, um, my brother and I were really active. We played a lot of sports. Um, you know, we were studying, we were with our family. So, um, you know, was, I started watching when I was about, 16 years old, 17 years old. 
um, really getting into it. Definitely when I was training. That's great, man. Yeah. Cause it seemed like, um, I mean, we've had this conversation with uh, people like Al Snow and uh, we've also had Dan Servo on the show who have also like spoken about these uh, sort of old days of the UFC. So we sort of had a bit of interest in that. So I think it would have been um, interesting for you as well, uh, given your uh, background, but I also wanted to ask uh, what was high school like for you as well? High school was challenging. Um, when I was in high school, uh, I was labeled when I was in elementary school, I was labeled learning disabled. So, yeah. <laughs> so I own private schools now. And what's crazy is the system will label, label you what you, what you're not good at, but they'll never teach you what you are good at. So school was super challenging for me. Um, I was put in special ed classes where they, they basically put the kids that are slow at, at, at stuff. They never inspire. I mean, in, when I say inspire, and they can't say they never inspire you, but it's very, it was very challenging going to classes, being pulled out of other classes. It was also very challenging not being able to necessarily read uh, at the pace of other people or not be able to keep up in, in some of the, some of the, um, some of the classes. Um, high school, I started getting a little bit better at, at, at everything. But when I was 16 years old, I got into a fight and, um, I, uh, I ended up going to juvenile hall and that was like a turning point in my life because I was super angry. Um, I didn't know who to, or how to understand my emotional or belief intelligence. So I didn't understand how to understand myself. Nobody ever taught me that. They're like, oh, just go be nice to people. You know, like, go be kind, don't bully. But they never, most people never teach other people, like we teach kids today to learn how to understand their emotions and their beliefs yeah. that create their emotions. Yeah. And, and how to surround themselves with good people in life and how to pick good people and how to understand how to create and uh, your vision and live on purpose and like, you know, figure out what you're really about. But when I was a kid and in most schools in the country, they don't teach that. Um, so we do it because we're private and we do it because the policy allows us to. And that's why I started the system. But um, it's pretty crazy to be able to see how difficult it can be. And I find a lot of the kids that were in the same situation, they didn't do as well. Um, because they didn't have that either the team, the support, the love, the parents. Um, and so my senior year of high school, I actually went to this program called Middle, Middle College, um, which was like in between uh, college and high school. And so it was a one-year program. I took a couple high school classes on the college campus. And then I took college classes as my electives. So... I was blessed, um, but it was, I did not want to be at high school. I thought it was a waste of time. Um, and today I, you know, we, we have so many kids that think the same thing. I, I no. see it around the country. I, I mean, most people are like, why do I have to go to high school? Why do I have to go to college? Like the stuff they teach you in high school and college, you can learn on Google. Yeah. Um, right. You can, you can you learn on YouTube. Like if I want to learn something now, I go to YouTube and yeah. I, I, and I'm, I, you know, if I want to put something together, right. Like, so it's interesting to be able to see how difficult it was. And, but it, it's also amazing for the friendships that I gained and, and the relationships I built. Um, so yeah, pretty interesting life. 
Yeah, man, what a, what a, what a time would have been um, <clears throat> sort of being in high school, but I guess your experience in high school as well would have uh, sort of <clears throat> given you, <clears throat> excuse me, that knowledge and experience uh, to be able to put together the, uh, you know, your, your My Life, My Power uh, Prep Academy. Um, before we actually jump into wrestling and MMA, I wanted to actually talk more about uh, the Prep Academy. Uh, sort of talk to us about um, the process of that, uh, the sort of kids you are taking in as well, and um, maybe some of, the, sort of the, some of the success stories you've had in the past. Wow. So I, I, I appreciate the questions. Um, so the, we started, I started the nonprofit in 2010. Yeah. And the idea around building a nonprofit was how do I, how do I solve a problem of kids that are being bullied, issues that are going on in communities? Um, like what's the mindset? What's, what's really going on? And what I found was the system the educational system does not teach. Um, they, they tell kids don't do, don't do drugs, don't bully. It, it's a fast, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a bandaid. Yeah. And so I did that for eight years since 2010. I spoke around the country. I partnered with organizations, um, big ones, the school resource organizations, counseling organizations. Uh, I spoke at PTAs. I spoke at um, board, board, um, um, school board conferences. I mean, I, I, I have a really amazing understanding of how to solve a problem now. Yeah. The challenge is that the system as a public school system will not let the problem be solved because they put everybody in a box. There's no real knit close. Like people are still teaching to a, to a book where you and I, if we want to learn something, we go on the internet. Yeah. And so I, I looked at all these different systems and I'm like, okay, number one. So I think school is good for two things. One is for building relationships. Yeah. Two is for learning how to learn. It's not the content you learn. It's the practice and the repetition and the understanding that the mindset of a human knows how to process information, whether um, your uh, kinesthetic learner, visual, auditory learner, like how do you learn and take an info? And then how do you then go produce results? Because you can understand something, but it doesn't mean that you can produce anything in this world. And the third part is it doesn't mean you're a good human. You could be a really crappy person that's really smart and everybody in the world hates you because you hate yourself. Yeah. So my thought was, how do I start a school system that works with students like I was when I was a kid that gives them the opportunity, that helps them understand their vision, that helps them live on purpose, that puts the right team together, that shows them what their, maybe their challenges are, but also shows them what they're really great at and shows them how to excel in their life and become an amazing human. And now we have multiple campuses in South Florida. And uh, we're state funded. We're global corporate accredited through Cognia, which is one of the biggest accreditations in the world. And uh, we're having fun. We're transforming lives. We have over 350 kids. Um, and uh, I get to solve problems. Like I'm, I'm taking kids that are, you know, that have been sex trafficked or that have been home, that are homeless, that are still homeless, that are going to my school, that are, you know, a couple of them were living in a, in a, in a, in a vehicle, um, last year. Um, so it's, 
it's just a huge blessing where another public school might say, oh, no, you have to pay a registration fee. And I will say no, our deans will say no, you can come to our school and waive that registration fee because we understand where you're at. Yeah. Because other people limit people from getting where they need to go. And it's like, we have so many resources in this world. Why are we not serving other people? I mean, I'm, I'm waving a $300 fee, right? Like you're, you're living in a car, <laughs> you know, you're, hmm. you're a mother trying to provide for your couple kids and your, you know, ex-husband or whatever's going on abused you. So you left the house and you're living in a car so that you can make sure your kids are safe, but you don't have the resource and the friendships or the whatever it was to be able to get what you want. Um, you know, and so it's like, how do we help them go from where they're at to where they want to go as fast as possible and really serve those families? Man, that's incredible. Awesome, um, man. That's sort of one of those things that just makes you feel good. Eh? Cause like in, yeah. in Australia, well, at least in Perth, I don't know of anything, anything like that. I've, I'm five years out of high school and I can tell you right now in those five years, I have, I mean, in the last five years, I've used nothing that I learned and I'm relearning so much now um, since I've left school and it's just the internet, YouTube, you know, yeah, uh, stuff that school should have taught me. And there's so many kids <coughs> I know and families as well that went through so much hardship because they couldn't pay fees or just something ridiculous. Like something as small as a school uniform costing too much money. Um, yep. So I think it's, it's, it's absolutely amazing what you're doing. And I know that you are helping so many people out there and so many families and uh, it's, it's so great. So thank you for sharing that with us. And, and, and all of us, all of our, all of our schools are full, fully digital. So you learn the content from video, from audio. So if you can't read as well, let's say, you push a button and it will read to you in your language. Oh, wow. So, so we have people, we just had somebody graduate from China. We had some, it's Chinese, right? Like yeah. it doesn't speak English that well. Like we had somebody graduate from, um, wasn't Venezuela. We've had people there too. Um, uh, Guatemala last year, 19 year old kid speaks Spanish, like 75%, 25% English. He's got a full-time job. He's laying wire with a company. He's rocking his life, but he didn't have enough time to be able to go to school from eight to five or eight to four. And he couldn't speak. He had to be put in slower classes because you know, he had learning, learning uh, English learning challenges. And so he was, being held back because he had to provide for his family. So it's like, what do you do at the end of the day? Um, so we found a system to be able, where I can go international, where I, I mean, like I'd love to come over to Australia. Like I'd, I will, I, I mean, we'll talk about it, but it'd be great. Why not put it? I want to put schools all around the world to be able to add value, but then see perspective with good people. Because if, if you guys have one challenge where you're at or, or wherever, then we can learn from that and we can grow from it. So, but I don't think the system today is changing fast enough. Um, and that's why our kids, why we have 8,000 kids in America failing, or no, sorry, not failing, dropping out of school every day on average. Yeah. Wow. Every day. Wow. Every day. How do you have 8,000 kids? That's like four high schools, like walking out and saying, <laughs> see ya. Yeah. Jeez. That's uh, that's a crazy statistic. That's insane. <laughs> I think Australia does need something like that, though. I think we are way behind the times over here. They're, they're still I mean, teaching. I, I graduated in 2004. It's a long time ago now, but uh, I have a hard time believing that um, with the way our country goes, that they're cutting edge and they're doing anything. <laughs> anywhere near as close edge. as that. 
<laughs> and, and that's a, that's a challenge is, 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 is people are like, no, no, don't privatize education. I'm like, hold on. Why not? Every other thing that's privatized technology, energy, uh, look at Tesla, look at SpaceX, look at all these other companies we have, at least in America that are smashing it, that are privatized yeah. and they're doing things above and beyond any public, like we have NASA here and, you know, for 30 years, we did minor stuff compared to what Elon Musk has done with SpaceX in five years. Yeah. yeah. Like, like they, they re he revolutionized solar cars and SpaceX. And now he's doing boring in tunnels. Now he's doing freaking these things that you clip onto your head and you can see Google, like, like privatization <laughs> of something adds value because it brings it up to the current moment and looks at the future of what's going to need, be needed. That's right. Yeah. I can definitely say <clears throat> your sort of uh, prep Academy becoming the future of our, the, of education. A lot of places will sort of follow suit in it as well, man. Yes. I can tell you like <laughs> being a recent graduate from a high school, like a regular old public high school, man, I can tell you right now, your like your system um, would not only attract a lot of kids because it I, I don't, I still know so much like of just nothing that I wish school would teach me that I have to go to the internet and learn it myself now. So it's just, yeah. <laughs> and, and it's the same thing. It's the same thing with college. I had a kid get a degree in business um, and he works for me at a local college and he's a rock star. hustles. Like this kid, his name is Jake Jones. He he's, he's produced video content and, and my vlogs. And now he's just doing business development with investors and, like, and he said, he goes, I learned more in the first four months working with you than in the four years in, in college. Oh, man. So, so, so I'm like, hold, hold on a second. You paid the college 100 Gs to learn what you learned getting paid by me in four months. <laughs> system. The system. So are these kids like, are they, um, as soon as they're graduating, are they straight on going to employment? That's, um, being sort of, are you providing them the employment and, um, the opportunities for these degrees? Are they, are they actually completing these degrees with, with you in your, in your academy? Yep. I, I've, yeah. I've just got. Yep. So, so high, our high school is a fully accredited school. So for instance, our kids, so the U S army in South Florida is sending us kids that yep. either are getting a GED. It's like a, you can test out a high school kind of thing here or um at a, uh, so some high school diplomas you so if you want to go into the military you need to have a certain level of accreditation for your school yeah our school has the highest so what the u.s army did in the department of defense down here in south florida is they looked at where's our accreditation and they have a challenge recruiting kids because they come in with with getting a GED or uh, a crappy high school diploma and they're like nope go back to my life my power and so we have uh, an amazing program so we want kids to I want to give kids options and opportunity so it's not necessarily like what I want but it's what their passion is so I'm like if you can do your passion every day and make money life is. So I don't I don't I don't look at like, let's work five or six days a week to be able to have one or two days off. Like yeah. I, that doesn't make sense. That never made sense to me. So it's like, do what you love to do seven days a week and enjoy your whole life because exactly. everybody has a passion for something. So we, uh, we inspire kids for three things. One, um, when kids leave us, they have LinkedIn accounts. They have 
um, resumes, um, we uh, want them to either go to college, have a job, or go into the military. So those are three main options. Um, college can consist of a four-year college. It can consist of a of like a two-year junior college or a local college. It can consist of um, a trade school. I think trades are going to be some of the future because yeah. if you can get in and out of a trade school and become a plumber and make $75 an hour, um, you're doing better than somebody that has a hundred thousand dollar debt. If you have like a $10,000 debt or a 5,000, or even if you work your way through and you're making more per hour than the person with more debt. So you're actually, Making more, people don't understand that. They're like, if I get a business degree, I can make 100 grand. Well, guess what? If you're a plumber and you own a company, you can make 200 grand. So at the end of the day, why, like, I, people don't think about, people don't think about it a lot of time. Um, and our goal, obviously, is to build, we're doing a huge push uh, this year with local companies and getting the local companies to come in and speak to our kids. Obviously, it's COVID, it's challenging, um, but we have speakers all the time coming in to speak to our kids so that we can get them to be able to see different perspectives. Because somebody might want to say, hey, I want to be a, a lawyer. And we're like, okay, do you want to be a lawyer or a judge? Do you want to be like long-term? Like you start off being a lawyer, then move to a judge. Do you want to be able, do you want to go to law school? Why do you want to go to law school? Uh, what's the purpose around it? You want to learn about poli-sci or do you want to go into politics? So it's interesting to be able to see why people do what they do. And most people, when I, when we dive in, when our deans or our supervisors or teachers or myself, when we dive in, we ask people why, like, let's get to the root. And most people have no clue because they've never researched it. They've never yeah. met a lawyer. They've never met, like, they're like, oh, I want to become a criminal defense attorney. Or we had a couple kids this year want to become a, um, um, a, uh, attorneys for, um, oh, I'm blanking on the name for people coming in, um, uh, from other countries, um, to get citizenship, citizenship attorney. What is that called in our country? Um, God. Blanking. No, I would, I would a, okay, so I got hit in the head for a living, so I have that's my one hit in the head for the day. But you know, I mean, it's it's great, it's great to f figure out what people really want, but get them to understand also what it takes because they go, I want to be a lawyer, but they don't want to read. They're not good at reading. They don't want to read. They don't like to read. Guess what? You get to read a lot of case law, and you get to do a lot in law school and read hundreds of pages a week potentially. So there's there's um. There's a lot that's going on and where the future of the market is. Most people don't understand it. Some kids are like, I want to be an auto mechanic and have my own auto shop. Well, guess what? In 20 years, from what I've heard from some of my mentors, we're never going to have another car. You're never going to buy another car. It's a self-driving car. You're never going to take it to the auto shop. It's going to be like an Uber with self-driving. And the auto shop, the car is going to roll up and there's a, there's a robot mechanic that's going to lift it up, fix the car, put it back down. It's going to drive back out, recharge itself and, you know, do everything. So the whole world's changing really quick, but people don't look at the future of the market. So they're going to go into something, not knowing what they, yeah. where it's going to go. And then they're going to be disappointed when they have debt and bills and their markets, you know, sucks and, and dies in 20 years. Yeah, man. Exactly right. People don't look far, uh, far far ahead enough man i feel that um yeah. I'm gonna throw it back to carl um and uh we'll get the uh, next round of questions going cool bro um so let's we want to fast forward in your journey in life to uh 
the tough enough application process. Uh, I wanted to know ah. how you went about that uh, and, and what you did um, and all, obviously how you ended up finding out that you were going to be in it. Wow. So tough enough process. So originally I was hanging out with Dave uh, Meltzer. Yeah. And he's one of my mentors, very good friend of mine. And I was hanging out with him. We're watching. And his wife is like, you need to try out for tough enough. And he's like, you should do it. And I'm like, okay. And this was tough enough three. So this is the one before. Oh, I, no, oh, I think right. I've talked about this like once on the, on, on, a, on, a, I don't think, I, I think it's once on a show before. Um, but hardly anybody knows this. So I went down to, I believe it was in Colorado and I tried out and I made it. But um, I had some stuff. I was in college. I had some stuff going on in my life that I could not, that would not allow me to, um, to participate right. uh, in the timing. So they said, here's the deal. And the next one, please try out. So I, uh, I tried out for Tough Enough 4. I sent a video and my brother did the video. It's pretty freaking funny. <laughs> uh, it's, on, it's online. You guys can see it. I'm like frolicking, riding my motorcycle, um, <laughs> cutting. I cut a promo. My brother put this whole promo together for me. I cut a whole promo. Uh, it's really funny. And they called me up and they're like, you're, you have the best video we've ever seen. <laughs> so that was me with brown hair, with no tan. And I was in college wrestling and I was like 30 pounds overweight <laughs> compared to where I should be if I want to be an athlete, right? I was yeah. off season. So I talked to a guy named Ed Connors who has built a lot of people, a lot of pro wrestlers. He's helped. He was, he was the reason John Cena became John Cena. He's helped so many athletes. He was one of the uh, big guys at Gold's gym back in the day. And he said three things. He goes, get a tan, get a six pack and bleach your hair. And then Dave Meltzer said, you have to start doing promos, 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 pros. And, and I was horrible at promos, horrible. Um, you guys could see it in my tryouts. So don't talk too much smack, but that was, I, I, <laughs> I, I've, I've learned, I've grown uh, and I've, I've won. So um, promos was my, was my challenge. So Dave told me that. And then Dave gave me an obituary book that he wrote of, I think it was 12 dead wrestlers that he wrote. And I looked at it before I left and I go, what, what's the deal? And he said, uh, most people die. And they get caught up in the world of entertainment and drugs and drinking. He's like, that's not what I want for you. So um, we went down to Venice Beach. I kicked butt, top 50. Um, and then they picked top eight after two days. And you had Dan Rodeimer and you had some amazing, talented, like, uh, guys that were just rock stars in life. And so um, it was a huge blessing to be able to spend time down there competing. Um, and it was even a bigger blessing because then I had to go drop out of college. So I had like a week to drop out of college something like that and uh, wrap everything up and then get to Kentucky or get to Connecticut. And so we, we um, the one thing that I did and I, I knew how to train properly, Frank Shamrock, um, Bob Cook, Javier Mendez from American Box Academy, they trained me. They got me to get, I mean, I, I got my ass kicked back in the day. And so now I was, you know, in my 20s and I'm ready to rock and roll. 
So yeah. trained properly, trained hard, um, had the right people on my team, and I went into it. And the other guys, they wanted to lift weights all the time. I love to do cardio. I lifted a little bit, but I really wanted to be in really good shape. Yeah. Um, I, I don't complain, and I, I put 100% into it. Yeah, man. I, I, I've seen every season of Tough Enough, and I know a lot of problems some people had on those shows was that they didn't prepare themselves beforehand uh, cardio-wise, so they couldn't keep up. With so what they expect? On. I know, man. Like they're gonna, they're gonna really like put the pressure on you to make sure that you're able to uh, handle any situation you, you're 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 thrusted into. And I'm sure we're gonna get to some of those situations later, Daniel. Um, but you, you were smart, and 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 who better than Frank Shamrock as 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 well as someone that can help you along the way? I mean, that's uh, I've seen every uh, UFC fight he's ever had, and. Um, that guy is a, is a freak of nature. Um, yep. So I, I wanted to ask you about like uh, once you got through that 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 phase of tough enough, and you'd finally been selected to be someone that was going to be on on SmackDown doing these segments every single week. Could you tell me about the first day that you were backstage at WWE for the Tough Enough competitions, and tell me a little bit about what they would say to you beforehand and how they would prepare you and everybody else that you were with for the segments that you would do? So, first of all, uh, we didn't get prepared. <laughs> we, we were told, when, when you say prepared, is like, hey guys, here's what we're going to do tomorrow. Let's prep for this. That's what they, no, there was no prep. Right. There was, show up at this time and I'll tell you what's going to happen. So we would show up, like we walked in, they're like, uh, the first day they're like, oh, we're going to walk into the locker room okay. all together. Okay. So we walked in and then Big Show pulls his crap and, you know, and, and it's just, it's interesting to be able to see, obviously that's what they wanted. They wanted storyline. And I heard we had three or four times the ratings as the normal SmackDown show because <laughs> it wasn't scripted because people yeah. really wanted to see us get our butts whooped uh, or us, you know, fall on our faces um, by like Kurt Angle or by Big Show or by, you know, anybody else that came out, Hardcore Holly, you know, whoever that was. So um, we were not prepped at all. Um, there was weeks where we would run uh, sprints, eat pasta, run more sprints uh, or liners. And, you know, people were puking. You know, I, that week I was at least smart enough to know that they were going to run us probably more. And I didn't eat all my pasta, but I was playing the entertainment side that they wanted because I, I was playing into their, you know, to their stuff. I was like, oh, so, and I would be like milking, right? Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, they, they, that's, that's what they want. Like, they wanted me to play. I played, right? So yeah. <laughs> I started waking up to like, this is a competition to win. And it was to win by fan votes. And some of the competitions, you know, to people, it's to look good. Entertainment, same thing with politics. Look at, look at. I mean, I don't know about your politicians over there. I've seen some, at least I've heard some stuff about your your PM and, and different people. You know, at the yeah. end of the day, it's it's a it's a whole it's a whole gimmick. You know, it's like let's look yeah. and then let's do this right. And so, I learned how to do that and. You know, I mean, it's acting, right? It, it's not even acting. It's, it's a way of being. You put it on. And so it was good. Like, we, you know, I won the vote. Um, but I really trained for it. Like, I outperformed it. I was the only guy to, to stay in Connecticut for the, eight, the whole eight weeks of Tough Enough. 
that really committed. Everybody else went home during the weeks or during their off time. So I put the time and effort into it. I built the relationships. I went to headquarters almost every day when I was back and I got my workouts uh, in Connecticut. I did what I needed to do. Um, What I wouldn't do is I wouldn't buy into people's BS and I wouldn't, I wouldn't let people take advantage. And so I was, I was very like at one point, and I've told this story before, Bill DeMont, like we were doing rolls and, and, and moves and he grabbed somebody by the finger and bent it backwards. And, you know, I mean, to me, that's not a good coach. That's not a good mentor. It's not like, you're not going to teach. It's like a militaristic BS like regime, you know? And so he did it to me at once. And the other guy like crumbled, please don't do it. Please like crying. And, and I was like, are you going to break it? Or are you going to let me do this again? Like, teach me how to, like, do this right. You don't have to threaten me. You know, so I stood up for myself. I didn't drink alcohol. A lot of people drink alcohol. But they said they wouldn't drink alcohol, you know. And so it's just really interesting to me to be able to see what people are willing to do to get what they want. And I'm willing to bust my butt and be authentic. But a lot of people are not. They're willing to change. Um, the only guy I'm really good friends with still to today is Dan Rodham. Um, he's an amazing human. You guys should definitely interview him. He's, he just ran for us Congress and, um, um, I, I love who he is. You know, he's, he's gone through his challenges, gone through his ups, gone through his downs and built companies and done amazing things and has a great wife and, and kids. And, you know, and so it's interesting, you know, how people can judge politicians for what they're not good at, but you know what, they don't really get to know him for who they really are. Yeah, exactly. Um, well, thank you for the insight there on, on the early days of you uh, being a part of Tough Enough. And I, I will say, like, I watched it every week and it was quite clear from the get-go who was going to end up winning this thing because you got it. You got it, bro. And it was just obvious, like, it, this Daniel Peter guy is going to win. He's going to win. Um, I wanted to tell you a little story that Doug Basham told us when we interviewed him a few weeks ago. Uh <laughs> He, he said that there was the, yeah, the segment where everyone had to try and get past the Basham brothers to whatever it was to get to something. Um, that was the goal. The flag. the flag, that's it. Capture the flag, um, yes. Capture the flag. And he said that um, backstage there was a situation. I don't know if it was with Vince. I'm, I think it was with Vince, Jack. But uh, Doug had, had said, essentially it said to us, like, if you let anyone get past you both, like don't expect to be back on the show anytime soon. Essentially you're going to get fired for this. Uh, were you aware of that going into that segment that, that they're literally their career in WWE was on the line if they let anyone get past them? No. So <laughs> yeah. So Doug told me that after. Um, oh my God. It's so crazy. <laughs> yeah, that's like, I mean, think, think about this. Think about this. Think about a company that would treat you that way. Exactly. So I, exactly. in entertainment, just in general, I've been treated multiple ways like that. And I think that's why today my staff, my uh, people that work for our companies, um, we put a lot of effort into building them, not into hurting them or threatening. Them. Yeah. So I just want to say that number one, as a context, um, Doug's an amazing guy. I really love him. Um, they are, you know, what, what they almost lost. I almost made them get fired. Yeah. Sorry about that, Doug. 
or not sorry so um you know i i it, you know it's it's um it was a competition like everybody's like oh pewter got the farthest because he was one of the last ones well you know what step it up dude like you know i was also the fat i also won we did a mile uh, we trained every morning in, in connecticut and i won the mile run i was the fastest every day so there's things that i did that nobody else saw um that like i'm i'm just a i'm not i wouldn't say a, a better athlete but i train harder and i know i've learned how to train my body my mind my heart my my spirit to be able to become the best i can become yeah that's it yeah and i just i just loved doug's story on it because beforehand they had been essentially doing nothing for i don't know how many months on end just because doug asked a question to Michael Hayes. Hey, shouldn't we drop dropping the tag titles at the pay-per-view, not on television? Just and because oh, you ask one question, oh, that's it. You drop the belts tonight, you're gonna be on WWE Velocity for the next, you know, six, seven months. What the hell kind of kingdom of fear fucking bullshit is that? Creating this kingdom of fear where you can't even do one little thing like ask a question. Unbelievable. Well, it's it's you know, I mean, I look at people's authenticity on that. At this point, people ask me all the time, would you want to go back? I would not want to go back, number one. Um, wrestling for the WWE is, is, is it's more politics and, and mumble jumble than it is about the actual wrestling entertainment. Yeah. It was just wrestling entertaining and the, the culture would be good. They would make, I believe at least, they would make 10X on what they make. They would build bigger fans because yeah. people... Um, people, I believe people attract people and, and people can see that people can see who people really are. And so it's just interesting. Number one. Um, and, uh, you know, with, with the competitions, with Doug, with, with the other wrestlers, there are some amazing wrestlers that like Doug that are doing great things in life that mm -hmm. have went from wrestling to, you know, becoming amazing humans um, and not saying he wasn't before, but, you know, just being amazing humans after, you know, being in sports. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Um, the next thing I wanted to bring up was, this is something that I've been obsessively thinking about the last few days. And, and this is the situation that you have been thrusted into here where uh, Winning Tough Enough, and I looked at the history books of who won Tough Enough and what came of it, and also the ones that didn't win, that came runner-up or fourth, fifth, seventh, eighth, got disqualified before even getting into the damn thing, and what happened with those people. So I want to kind of lay this out here for you and see if you like, if you dig what I've got to say about it. I feel like... Winning tough enough, you are destined to fail because of the wrestling bubble and what comes along with it. So you are going to win a competition. Let's say it's 10 weeks. You win a competition after 10 weeks and now you get a contract with the WWE and all those guys backstage worked for years to get their contract with WWE. So all the guys in the back, Number one, they already have you or anyone else who won Tough Enough under a microscope, under the scrutiny. 
they're immediately going to be looking for the negatives in you to try and bury you because they don't want you taking their spot because you've been thrusted into this position, highlighted on television, having this massive opportunity, taking advantage of it. And so number one, I wanted to see what you thought of that. You know, um, the, the wrestlers already are going to target you because you didn't come in the same way that they did or the other winners, they didn't come in the same way. And the results speak for itself. There are a couple of anomalies that I'll get to, but did you feel that? Did you feel that heat? So sure, I sure called something. Yeah. <laughs> um, he, here's my opinion. Bill Gates is Bill Gates because he surrounds himself with the right people. He looks for talent. Even though he's talented or a Jeff Bezos, made Jeff Bezos made more money faster than Bill Gates. Yeah. Elon Musk made more money faster than I think Jeff Bezos. Don't quote me on that, but I could do the timeline. Um, but in the last five years, he went, he gained more wealth faster um, per capita per per, yeah. per time period. So yep. they do this because of looking at the scenario and looking at how they can utilize not only talent, but resource, technology, and everything. What I was really, really good at was I had a website up and rolling. I, I think I was the only guy besides Miz that had a website right in the beginning because I knew that it was by fan vote. So people are going to go somewhere and want to learn more. Yeah. What wrestlers aren't taught, most athletes in general, aren't taught on two things. Number one, how to build relationships and understand how to put team around because most people are like amateur wrestlers, for instance, or football players, when you walk on uh, to the mat or the football field or the basketball court or whatever, you're given something. You're given a coach. Here's your coach. It's like giving somebody some keys. Here's your coach. They're never earning a coach. In wrestling, pro wrestling, and MMA, it's a little different. You have to go to a pro wrestling school. You have to, like, gang grill school here in, in South Florida. You have to go to um, an MMA gym. But again, most of those coaches are not top notch. They're not, they're not like top tier, grade A, like a Frank Shamrock, Javier Mendez. So the one thing that I learned early was Frank built relationships. Javier built relationships. Wrestlers aren't as smart in general because they learn how to work it. They don't learn how to build authentic relationships and see talent. They think talent is a competition versus mm. an addition. Yeah. In school, in the beginning, when you and I, when all three of us are taking a test, if I look over you and I say, hey, what's, what's, what's the answer to, 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 to a, uh, number three? That's called cheating. In the real world, if, you, if all three of us are trying to solve a problem, it's called collaboration. Yeah. The challenge is, is that they have a lot of hate for people that could potentially take their job versus yeah. understanding how to be better. Now, if they were smart, from my opinion, and this is the first time I've ever talked about like this, so it's good. From my opinion, if they were smart and they would have seen this kid that just got four times, let's say four times the rating that they did, and they had a huge brand, and they could bring more eyeballs because guess what people get paid on? People get paid on their, their weekly salary. People get paid on how many shows they do. 
people get paid on the product they sell with their name on it. People get paid on the pay-per-view time they're on. So let me ask you. So if people are getting more pay-per-view eyeballs, more pay-per-view dollars are created, that means they make more. What they don't understand is the ability that if they had four tough enough champions or 15 or 20 tough enough champions and diva champions and all these things, if they had all this, they would be making more money. All of them. Because it's a collective. It's a brand. If you leave WWE, you don't make that much money. Just as a, as a general. Not, I mean, some people can go out there and make, more, make good money because they're, they're, they're just rock stars. So I did, feel, I did feel something when I was there. Um, at some points, it felt like crap because you get tossed under the bus. And mm. at some points, I looked at it as there's hurt people hurt people. Yeah. And at the end of the day, they know nothing. They, it's like a blind person. You, you can't tell you, a blind person if they've never seen anything. Um, people are just blind in their emotions. They're blind in their life. They're blind in their beliefs. Like, and you, you, can't, you can't change somebody. The only thing you can do is offer them something else, and they have to choose it and see it for themselves. Yeah. Um, so there was another point I wanted to make. Uh, <laughs> Uh, and that's was, that, was, that, was that the answer you're was that the answer you're looking for? Was that's that, like, fantastic. That absolutely. Yeah, that was fantastic. Uh, so the second part of this uh, is about backstage personnel, producers, agents, creative team people. They already know that a tough enough winner. This is just my hypothesis. They already know a tough enough winner has a target on their back from all the guys in the back. So they're not going to hitch their wagon to that person and vouch for them and help them along the way. Because if it doesn't work out because it's destined to fail because of the wrestlers, then they go down in the pecking order and it, it hurts the way that they are seen by the other producers or their bosses above them because they vouch for something that didn't end up working out because it wasn't going to work out because of the aforementioned situation with the wrestlers. So that was point number two as to why I feel like tough enough winners were destined to fail no matter what, because if you look at the history books, the only two guys that actually won the thing that had longevity uh, as far as like on TV on, you know, under contract for several years were Maven and uh, John Morrison, John Hennigan. Now, Maven, I believe, this is another hypothesis, that worked for him because he was the first tough enough winner. So you have to show that it's gonna, this, this idea works. Yeah. So it worked for Maven. John, I don't know what the anomaly there is with him. I just think maybe one person finally did hitch their wagon to him and, and vouch for him and give him a chance. Everyone else that won, Linda Miles, Jackie Gator, Matt Capitelli, rest in peace, uh, Josh Breedle, who won the latest one. Andy Levine, who won the one with Stone Cold as the host. A couple of them got to be on TV for a little while, but nothing really ever came of it. But then you look at people like The Miz, Ryback, Boogeyman, Mitch. Yeah, all, all people that didn't win, they were accepted into the WWE. My hypothesis again, because they didn't win, they had to go back and train. And then when they come back, the wrestlers say, Oh, Hey, they never gave up on their dream. We're going to give these, these people a chance to, 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 to come along and, and be a part of this thing. 
What do you think, Daniel, of my little experiment and, and my little research there into why a tough enough winner is destined to fail? I think you're, I think you're pretty spot on. Um, I mean, even Dan Rodheimer had a contract, I think, for like three or four years, you know, and, and he, I think he was like third, you know, third, like fourth or fifth off or something like that. So, and, and, and everybody, what I find is everybody that they bring on has talent. It comes down, like, not everybody. Most people have the talent and will to want to. What I find is because they put them through a, a, you know, a video and an interview and this and that and a physical thing. And, and they, 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 they weed them down, right? 10,000 to eight, you know, it's a, you know, you're really picking some, you know, pretty unique talent at that point. So I find that, you know, with, a, it's like when I hire an employee, the only difference between not a hire an employee and I have to go through 150, 200 resumes, whatever it takes is that I want to make sure that employee does their job and excels because if they don't, I lose money. So to me, it makes no sense financially for me to hire somebody and throw them under the bus. Yeah. And if, so it is what it is. I mean, at the end of the day, what I think my thought, just thinking out loud, what, what, what should have happened is they should have taken like a Kurt Angle, a hardcore Holly, um, not a hardcore Holly, but maybe like a Kurt Angle, Chris Benoit was great last, uh, you know, when, when he was around, you know, somebody like a Chris Benoit or uh, like a, like an Eddie Guerrero or a heart, um, uh, a Kurt Angle and had them as like, um, mentors. And they said, you know what, you're mentoring this person for yeah. the next 10 years, you're going to build this person into a superstar and you're going to be responsible for them. So yeah. here are the ways to mentor. Here's how to set them and get them a coach, right? Get them a wrestling coach, get them a, a, a psychology coach or, you know, a, a performance coach, get them everything because the amount of money they put into something yeah, is it a, you know, I mean, it's, it's 20, 30, 40 mil, whatever it is. Right. You know, for, for the trainings and the, like just to, just to go into Venice beach. I mean, they had probably 40, 50 people down there. I mean, think about the salaries, the flights, mm, the, you know, yeah. it's expensive to put all this together and the advertising, the, you know, so I think that like a national ad I heard is, you know, tens of thousands of dollars. Right. So, you know, if, if you're running a 30 second spot on a, on a, on a show, there's a cost. So why not build somebody into your system and make them your future rock stars and mm. then make like a Royal rumble for tough enough champions make like you know those competitions or make like the ultimate team like where they come together with their their superhero like like marvel is done like look at how much marvel makes on movies and if wwe were to think about making their rock stars and not i'm not talking about the spirit squad by the way like yeah no i'm talking about like you know daniel pewter has a nonprofit, so he's got like the heart and you take these people that have these different you know ways that they live and who they are as humans like dan rodan rock star politician like you could literally bring these people together and that would be the old like people would tune in for that all day yeah but it is what it is yeah man um before i throw it back to jack i did want to bring up that um i i wasn't really aware of this incident that you had with the big show backstage um but I listened to um, – uh, actually, I listened to 
Bruce Pritchard talk about it on his show. And that's someone I want to bring up at some point too, because uh, I don't agree with what he had to say um, in regards to you. But uh, I was very disappointed to hear that big show would put his hands on somebody uh, and throw them around. Um, and I just, I don't know. It just, it just kind of disgusted me a little bit that that, that happened. And uh, for Bruce Pritchard on his show to say, oh, well, I mean, it's a different time now, so it wouldn't happen now, but that's just the way it was back then. And maybe Daniel Pewter had never been in a locker room before. So what, what are you going on about? Like, I don't care what happens in any locker rooms in the world. No one should be putting their hands on anybody and throwing them around and, and treating them like that. So uh, I just wanted to say that because sometimes Bruce Pritchard pisses me off with the things that he says, the way that he tries to just justify things with his answers. So. Hey, anybody can justify something. Yeah. <laughs> teamwork is teamwork and hurting people is hurting people. So if you want to justify hurt, it's kind of like a terrorist justifying their bombing. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, yeah, 100%. It is what it, you know, that's all I got to say. To, yeah, for, for him to try and spin it like it was your fault, to not know that it was coming, that's dumb. Anyway, over to you, Jack, to uh, I'm sure the, the question that Daniel has answered a million and one times, but uh, uh, I'm sure some of us... Yes, I kicked his ass. I would do it again. And <laughs> yeah. at the end of the day, he won't fight me in the UFC. He won't fight me in Strike Force. He won't fight me on the street. And he definitely won't want to wrestle me because I would kick his ass there too. And then he would be like, but I'm just old and my arm hurts. So it is what it is. <laughs> Cut angle for those playing at home. All right, next question. Um, <laughs> I actually think, no, I actually genuinely think that was actually good enough for an answer for that question because. We all know what happened. We all know what happened. I don't, we all know. You know, don't need Daniel to repeat himself a million We've watched times, it. It's fucking, it's, it's the a The only thing moment. I want to say is, it's like, man, you, you, you have that opportunity right there. <laughs> you, you want to talk about having the brass ring dangled in front of you. Daniel Pewter took that fucking brass ring, got in the ring, and it's called the Daniel Pewter Kurt Angle incident. It was an incident that everyone remembers. So there we go. That's, uh, it, it, you know, every year it makes top 10 on something. A top 10, top 5, top 100, top this, top that, best moments. Like, it's really interesting. I get Google alerts and it's like, hey, Daniel Pewter and Kurt Angle. I'm like, again, this is all. This thing is they don't, they, again, they, they, they want, they're more worried about their egos than actually giving people what they want. Yeah, that's right, man. It's, I still think it's an interesting story. I, as recent as two years ago, I was, you know, just, rabbit hole researching and there you go stuck into this incident again um <laughs> so it's one of those awesome. stories man it's, it's just an awesome story and <laughs> i think it def- i think it defines uh the the run as a whole to show how much of a badass you were but i wanted to also ask uh, what was your initial reaction and how did you feel to actually winning the competition um after 10 weeks i mean i don't think you would have been surprised but uh how, what was your initial reaction and how did you feel about winning the competition so um, my feeling was surprise. Oh, okay. Yep. Because that day they had me cut a heel promo in the back. Right. Okay. And they had Miz cut a baby face promo and Miz and I were talking and they, um, he had, he was getting like 76, I think it was 76,000 unique viewers a day on his website. And I was getting like 30. Yeah. Well, obviously he had a bigger well. brand. So I'm like, no, I'm like, oh my gosh. Like, I mean, I busted my ass. I've done what I can do, you know, but 
you know, I was shocked. I was literally shocked right. that because I think they spun it. They were, you know, and so, um, and I was pretty confident going into that day, but then they spun everything on me. So then I was like, oh my gosh, I might've lost like this can't, you know, so, so, um, <laughs> yeah, it was, it was a good day. I was, uh, you know, he, here's, here's my thought is I did a year with WWE. It's added a ton of value to my life. It's opened up doors. Uh, it hasn't opened, but I've used it to open up doors. Um, people love the WWE. They, they, yeah. they think it's an amazing place. They don't know what really goes on, but it is what it is. And um, with that and MMA fighting and, and being a, being a, uh, a world weightlifting champ, having that sports side of it gave me the ability to see different perspectives and go through different challenges. And so whether it was with the Kurt Angles or with the Bashams or whatever it was, um, I'm super blessed for the experience and for the ability to learn uh, and for the growth. And it definitely pushed me being in WWE to be, um, be my authentic self and, and be real, uh, you know, and, and I grew a ton and I look back now and it was, you know, it was 15 years ago and I'm like, holy smokes. That was yeah. a different me, but it, it, it defined who I was today. That's right, man. It's a great way to look back on it. I mean, so many people look back on those times with, I mean, people have had 20 times better of a run there than you did. And they look back on that time. Like it was the worst, like oh, years bro. when I spoke to it's Mo so from cool. men on a mission, he, every time I asked a question, it was just negativity, negativity. I felt bad. You know, I couldn't turn it around. Some of these guys had these great runs and wrestled on WrestleMania and all that stuff. And, and uh, so for you to have a positive outlook, Daniel um, is, you know, fantastic. Well, he, here's my, here's my thought is I get to wake up X amount more more days, right? Like yeah. I've had people like Matt, Matt Capitelli, right? Like, you know, I mean, people don't live as long as I live. Um, I've been to third world countries. I've, I've seen the challenges we have. Um, you know, my dad's come through cancer a couple of times. My grandma used to fall on her face and break hips when she was alive. And, and so I've had, you know, there, there's been that hurt and pain. There's been that challenges. There's been... You know, and, and I have uh, an amazing fiance with um, uh, a newborn, you know, he's 10 weeks old, 11, 11 weeks old now. Oh, man, and man. so, so it's, it's amazing to be able to, I have amazing business partners um, and great people in my life. I live, you guys can see it right here. I live on the water with, you know, <laughs> I was going to say, mean, it's incredible. You know what I'm saying? Like, like, I mean, I've, I've busted my ass. Um, you know, I've, I spent the first eight years of a nonprofit, not paying myself, like living barely, like, like it was, it was more about honing in to impact people's lives than it was to make money. And yeah. even my second, my second dad, who's like a mentor to me, he was like, what are you doing kid? Like come work for one of my companies and you'll make a ton of money. And I'm like, life isn't about money. I've had the money. I've had the fame. I've had the, you know, the, the, you know, the big fights. I've had the wrestling. It's not about that. The entertainment's great. But what is even more amazing is to, you know, hug your son and you can spend time. So I'm, I'm in a place now where I have multiple companies. I can, travel if I want. I know there's COVID, but you know, I, I was, I, I was in India with the Dalai Lama or, you know, I can travel around the country. I speak all the time. I'm, I have amazing contracts. I, I impact people's lives. So entertainment is awesome. 
Um, but it's not real life. Like, you know, it's, it's, it's the entertainment. It's the impact in people's lives. And somehow, do you want to just entertain them? Or do you want to actually really impact society? Because, and so I chose to really impact society. And, and that's, you know, that's, to me, that's the, I believe that's one of the biggest things people can go do. Um, cause, cause entertainment's easy. Like, you know, anybody can entertain, but you can be a crappy, you know, human and entertain people and make them laugh, you know, but can you actually change the world in your lifetime? Can you add more value to communities? Can you solve problems? You know? So it's how, that's where I'm coming from at this point. And I've, I've been here for about 10 years in this, in this context and mindset. And before that, I didn't know anything different. You know, I was, I was yeah. told to go be a rock star and be a champion and, be a fighter and 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 i didn't i explored through all that stuff i explored to really see what meant something to me in, in this world and i think so many people are bitter because they don't use their experiences to build their future they're lost mm, yeah that's right uh, yeah it's a lot to think about yeah <laughs> <laughs> um was there anyone on the roster that you um that you really connected with the most so <clears throat> I think, so Hardcore Holly actually trained me for a while. Mm -hmm. um, and then he talked smack in his book, which is interesting. Um, you know, I mean, people don't want to let people close, I guess. Well, vulnerability doesn't, doesn't feel good sometimes. Um, uh, Al Snow. I, I, I'm, still, I'm still in contact with him. Um, uh, Dan Rodheimer. We're really good friends. I actually put his name on a school. Um, so there's there's some amazing people. Um, I find that, you know, spending time with certain people, um, you know, like Al Snow, who has so much wisdom, so much like love for, uh, you know, wrestling. Um, I'm excited to go see him again when I'm in Kentucky. Um, but besides that, there's not that many people that I stay in contact with anymore. Um, but I, and I, and I didn't really connect with too many people. Like the undertaker was always very nice and cordial. Um, but besides that, there, there, there wasn't much Eddie Guerrero. Eddie Guerrero was an amazing human. I, yeah. I really liked Eddie. Um, he was great. No, he was, uh, he was incredible, man. It's, uh, just one, another one of those cases gone too early, but I mean, in 15 years on people still remember and still talk about him. Um, he one gets of my favorites all the time, all the time. About how great he was. Yeah. Um, Carl, I want, to, I want to let you ask this next question. You've got a note here saying you'll probably have something to say here. So, go next. Oh, right. well, okay. Well, uh, you fight them is in a Dixie dog fight. I, mean, I don't know why they had to call it that, but uh, <laughs> at Armageddon in 2004. Um, and your final appearance is obviously at the Royal Rumble, which is the one thing I, I did want to talk about that a little bit, but... um. You're going in there. How much is Miz shitting himself, knowing that he has to fight you <laughs> uh, in that in that match, uh, knowing that you have a background in fighting, whilst he's a, a you know, I guess an MTV kind of uh, three three one minute rounds. I mean, he did good. Yeah, he did bad. He did not do bad. I I watched um the first round tonight, man, and there was one point I was like, hang on, the Miz actually he's got. He might actually have something here. He's kind of got a, he's kind of got hands. <laughs> yeah. Kind of. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he, he, he's a feisty. He's, he, he can, I mean, like we did the jousting deal at one point. Mm. 
that wasn't hard. You know, I mean, at, at the end, at the end of the day, it's, 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 um, you know, three, one minute rounds, you give me two, two minute rounds with him, three minute rounds, four minute rounds, five minute rounds. I'll toast him. You know, I mean, give me one minute rounds, you know, the, the most I can do is just go after him. And if, and yeah. if he's just punching the whole time, unless I connect with him and I think they gave us like 16 or 18 on gloves, like it is what, yeah, like, yeah. Gloves, I mean, yeah. dude, but the mid, I'm not going to take anything away from him either. He's, he's tough. He, he goes all out. Like, He's um, he's very impressive. He did great in real world back in the day. He did great in WWE. I mean, he's a rock star. Like I'm 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 very proud of his accomplishments. And and you know he he was always um, he's a smartass. But he's um, he's he'd probably say that about me too. But he's he's um, he's very driven. And you know if if any company were to take him, period, they would succeed with him. Yeah. I remember I used to hate him for years. And then uh, now the situation that wrestling is in right now, I just realized how good he actually is. That dude is phenomenal. Um, yeah. One of a kind. But uh, I, I want to say this about the, the Royal Rumble um, that you were a part of. Um, I was thinking about it earlier and I'm like, okay, this guy's one tough enough. He's got a $250,000 contract for this first year. And the plan for the rumble is to have him get eaten up and chopped to death in the ring instead of maybe taking advantage of, you know, the situation and trying to build him up into something. What did you think about all of that? Because when I watched it, I'm like, why would you do this? You've invested all this money in the winner of Tough Enough. Why are you doing this? It makes no sense. Yeah. Yeah. What point was being proven there? <laughs> Nothing. You're asking the wrong guy on that you're one. Idiots, <laughs> man. Why you invest all this money into something if you just, yeah. Anyway, look, you don't, there's nothing really to say about it because I've already said it. And I guess so. <laughs> it, it, it's crazy. It, again, it's crazy. It's crazy that, you know, I mean, it, it's it, some of the writer, writers, you know, are crazy. Yeah. Like legit. N legit nuts. Like, because like, the thing is, it, they're not, they're not tied into making financial decisions. They don't understand what it takes to build uh, a human. And if you build a human and you put them on a, the biggest show you've ever had, and give them a million dollar contract and do all these things, they're not responsible for that money. So they're like, oh, let's do this. Let's do that. Let's play politics. Yeah, let's, so like, they're not responsible. So why would they even care, you know, about give people responsibility when they earn and they, they earn the responsibility and they understand the value. Mm. Yeah. Um, back to you, Jack. Yeah, sure. Um, so I've only got one last one before I actually throw it back to you, Carl. So, um, <laughs> when did you first get sent down to OVW and how was that experience? We've had uh, a lot of our guests talk about the experience with OVW. Um, a lot of, most of it being actually pretty positive. So, uh, I'd like to hear your experience yeah. with OVW. Danny Davis was amazing. Um, Paul Heyman, that's another person. I really like Paul. He really took me under his wing, added value. It was, it was great. Um, um it was it was good it was it was different like to spend four or five hours a day um training for wrestling it was you know i, I have this thing i'm like i'm used to going to the gym for a couple hours busting my ass and leaving 
but sitting there and watching and watching and watching, it, it was, it was definitely a new experience for me. Um, uh, you know, I have like this, they, they, they labeled me like ADHD, right? Like, you know, I'm like, come on, let's go, let's go. Let me work out. Let me do my stuff. Um, and so it was, it was always, you know, I wanted to learn more. I wanted to grow. Um, but it was challenging for me sometimes just to sit there for hours and, um, and just watch other people versus actually train myself. Uh, I get that. Yeah. It didn't seem like there was a lot of, um, it seemed like a very tight knit group, like very tight knit classes. Um, and a ton of just, um, it was a lot, it was a lot of tape, uh, tape watching as well from what I've heard. Uh, we have, we've had people put over Danny Davis, like no tomorrow on this podcast as well as being, um, such a great trainer. And as well, uh, Carl, you recently spoke to, uh, someone from OVW, I believe he was an OVW trainer with, uh, Rip Rogers. Oh, Rip Rogers. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I don't think you would have done anything with him, Daniel, but yeah, back to you, Carl. Anyway. Um, so I wanted to talk to you about Paul Heyman cause I know there was a, 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 I guess he was writing OVW television at the time as well. Right. Um, he was so, okay. This is a memory that I have because my friend Ben had acquired all the episodes of OVW television. This is years ago now, um, that Paul Heyman had written. And I remember watching some of those episodes and the way that he utilized you was perfect. And it's the perfect way that you could have been utilized in WWE. You, you were a killer. You were coming out there. You were, you know, using that key lock, uh, which obviously was the most sensible route to go as far as, you know, the move that you were going to do to take people down. Um, I just wanted to ask you about the experience with Paul and, and how he did so much for the Daniel Pewter character in such a short amount of time there. Um, I just thought from what I remember watching, like this was great. WWE should have done this from the outset. Um, obviously they didn't, but Paul got it. So, um, you know, tell me a little bit about that. Paul's a, Paul's a genius when he writes stuff. I mean, like what do you do with Brock Lesnar? Genius. So he understood what a real fighter was. WWE understands what a pro wrestler is. So there's a different context of, of how to, you know, win the war. And, uh, he used me well. Um, obviously what you said earlier about tough enough, you know, jumping in, tough enough champions jumping in and, and just rocking, um, you know, and, and flopping a lot of time um, is because I never did pro wrestling before. I, mm -hmm. I, was, I was taught how to beat people up for a living. So it's a different world. Um, if they would have, if they would have given me a couple more years, uh, you know, where, where, you know, they would have really pushed me and built me. They would have had a different, different me. I would be in a different position, but, um, absolutely yeah. yeah well i mean it's just to, to me it's just uh remarkable again as i brought up before two hundred fifty thousand dollar contract they're expecting a return what within a year on that or whatever however long it was i mean to me that's insane to think that uh you know to to expect that much so soon uh because i i listened to something that kurt angle said in a shoot interview earlier tonight and um he had said like, oh, they um, gave him a new contract with a pay cut because 
apparently he wasn't any good. He was horrible. Uh, and I'm like, well, he's not supposed to be amazing in, in such a short amount of time. You've got to train the guy. It's like Linda Miles and uh, um, Jackie Gator, who won season two, I believe. They weren't trained long enough and they put them on TV and then they expect them to be able to perform to the same level as a Chris Benoit or a Kurt Angle. How is that supposed to happen? So I just think it's, again, another scenario where you, you, you can't win. Um, so, uh, yeah, you get offered this new contract and I believe there was a massive pay cut there. You make the decision to walk away. What made you decide that? Yeah, it was, it was the, it was more about the, how they handled it. And if they're going to have me win million dollar tough enough, and then they're going to offer me, I don't know, it was like 50 grand a year or something like that, yeah. which is a lot more than a lot of the trainees. But at the end of the day, it was more about the concept versus the money. The money I wasn't worried about. But when you take somebody and you build somebody and you tell them, you know, I mean, it, it, would, it, would, it would make my brand at that point go down the tube because fans would go, oh, he's not million dollar tough enough. thousand yeah. dollar tough enough. <laughs> so it's just, it's just interesting. I, I was, I was, um, more taken back or, you know, per se offended by their commitment because I committed on how I bust my ass. It, it just came down to, um, you know, them not following through. Yeah. Um, so again, with my research, I looked at your Wikipedia article and I thought it was weird that um, Kenny Bolin has comments that he made in, a response to something that you had said about working in a barn in front of 20 people or something like that. Uh, and making you think to yourself that maybe wrestling isn't for you or whatever it was. And I just thought it was weird that his response is on your Wikipedia article. Like whatever you had to say has to be debunked on your Wikipedia article. I thought a Wikipedia article was supposed to be about the one person and what they did, not about a back and forth between one person and another. But anyway, Kenny made some comments about um, if, if Daniel didn't fall asleep backstage, I don't know what he said, uh, fall asleep or doze off. Uh, if he spent less time on his laptop and on his phone, then maybe he would have drawn more than 20 people. Uh, I just wanted to give you the chance to have a rebuttal to that. If anyone hasn't asked you that before, uh, because I kind of don't really believe what he says there. So yeah, for sure. I was doing a lot of marketing, a lot of branding. I was yeah. doing impacting lives. I was going to Shriners hospitals. Was that my laptop and computer? Sure. Yeah. There, there, I mean, there's no, like to me, there's no rebuttal to that. Right. Like I, I lived my life how I wanted it. I, I won, um, you know, I won the tough enough. I mean, Kenny can say whatever he wants. Uh, he's where he's at and I'm where I'm at. And, uh, I'm, you know, it's, it's, um, I love where I'm at. Yeah. So I already somebody wants to talk smack. Somebody can talk smack all day. I mean, I don't go around talking smack about him or his lifestyle decisions or, Hey, if you were to do this or do that, maybe you'd be better at what you do. Like, yeah. you know, I'm, I'm not here to critique him. If he wants to talk smack, he can do it. Cool, man. Um, so I guess we should start wrapping up this interview now. Um, uh, but before we get there, I just wanted to also give you a chance to have a rebuttal to one tank Abbott 
who had said something <laughs> in an interview about you, about how he showed up in shape and uh, then apparently you chickened out on fighting him. I don't know how many years ago that was now, maybe like 10 years ago. But uh... So, so what, what, can you tell me what shape he showed up in? Because <laughs> there's different shapes, right? Like sh- people, I'm not, you know, it, it, it's how he shows up. Like look at his fights. He shows up in a shape. Yeah, so, literally. you know, at the end of the day, um, we were putting a fight together and it didn't work out. Um, it is what it is. Like, I would have loved to fight him. Uh, I would have loved to have the name of the legacy killer, you know, <laughs> of, of whooping his ass. Um, you know, and, and um, you know, I think, he's a, I think he's a great brand to beat. So that's yeah, why definitely. I wanted to, to fight him. You know, yeah. he can talk smack all day, but at the end of the day, you know, he, uh, I mean, Tank, what do you got, bro? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, uh, so, Daniel, we, we end the show with a short segment. It's called Five Second Frenzy. We just ask you 10 quick fire questions just to see uh, what you like about other things in your life. A couple of wrestling related ones, but it's just like you got five seconds to answer each question. Are you ready? Okay. Ready. Cool. Okay, uh, Daniel, who is your favorite wrestler? Today, Al Snow. Nice. Your favorite opponent that you ever had? The Miz. Uh, the favorite match you've ever had? Um, Kurt Angle. <laughs> That's a great answer. I was going to say, I also want to give a shout out to your match with Johnny Jada for the OVW. Uh, title that was uh, some great stuff. So, and that also, uh, Kurt Angle in his interview said apparently that you were horrible. No, I watched that match and it was smooth as hell. Um, your favorite TV show? Oh, wow. Um, Suits was nice. one of them. Nice. Uh, favorite film? Um, I just watched Columbia. I think it's called Columbia. Okay. Columbiana. Something like that. Oh, yep. a chick that goes and freaking gets revenge on her family. <laughs> okay, cool. I think I've seen something about that. Um, your favorite food? Sushi. Nice. Uh, favorite place to eat on the road? Or just a restaurant you like? Waffle House. Yeah, we get that Every so time. much. Every time. <laughs> Every time. Uh, I know you said earlier you don't drink. So um, if you don't have a favorite alcoholic beverage, what is something that you just like to drink? Uh, chai, chai lattes, green tea, coffee, cold brew. Nice, nice. Water. <laughs> and the second last one here, your favorite female body part. I like my fiance. <laughs> <laughs> the whole package. Her, her body, her her whole thing, her the whole body is sexy. Fantastic, bro! Congratulations. Um, and <laughs> the, the last one on five second frenzy. Your favorite curse word? Uh, I don't know. People say I curse once in a while, but I, I don't think I really curse that much. I haven't heard no. you curse yet. I haven't heard him curse at all. I think we have Jack, yeah. but we're Australian, so <laughs> back, back in the back in the day, maybe I did, but I, I you know, I, I don't I don't do it as much anymore. So I really don't have a favorite. 
That's hmm. fine, bro. Um, well, uh, Daniel Pewter, I want to thank you so much for your time here tonight. Um, once we finish recording, we just uh, want to ask you one more thing. But uh, I just want to say, me and Jack, we're really excited to talk to you. And you did not disappoint. You're doing so many great things. And I wish what you're doing now was going on when me and Jack were in high school because that really would have helped us out in our life. So you're doing incredible things in life. You are a fucking rock star. And you, you are killing it. Every single day, you should be so proud of what you've achieved in life. This planet is better and a better place because you are on it. And, um, you know, your, your infamous stuff in the WWE, everyone will still be talking about that in another 15, 16 years. So thank you for your time. I hope you're proud of everything you've done and achieved, my friend. Thank you guys for your time today. I really appreciate having me on. And, and uh, it'd be a blessing to take you guys out to lunch or dinner sometime. Excellent, awesome, bro. Hopefully we'll be over there in the next few years when uh, all this crazy stuff dies down. <laughs> we'll have to keep in touch and uh, work together. We're together, together, man. Excellent. Please. Thank you guys so much. Have an amazing week. Have a great New Year's. Thanks, Daniel. And thank you everyone out there for watching the WCWA Network here and the show here with the one and only Daniel Pewter. We will see you guys in 2021. We will see you next time. Thank you.